Our dear kind Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for each one that is here. And as we're here, we just pray that You will take and lead us, guide us, direct us, and that, Lord, Your Holy Spirit will teach us, that we'll understand this topic. We love You so much. In Your precious name, Amen. Amen. If I can't keep up with you, I'm going to pray for me. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's fine. That's fine. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, what I want to ask is, what is the mark of the beast? How would, how would, you, how would you prove that? Let me tell you a story. I had a, I had a, a, a person that, was, that I'd baptized that began to give Bible studies, and, and he was giving Bible studies to his nephew. And as he was giving Bible studies to his nephew, his nephew said to him one day, he says, Uncle Tom, what is this whole issue with the mark of the beast? Now, when I teach people to do Bible studies, I teach them you keep the topics in order and you don't get out of order because they're a foundation. They begin to build to where when you get to the topics, then they'll be understandable. Well, you know family and pressure and all of that, and he finally urged and coaxed, and finally he said, well, all right. And he said, it is Sunday worship. And he said, oh, Uncle Tom, that isn't right. Most of the world goes to church on Sunday. That isn't right. I'm not, I'm not studying with you anymore. And he came back and he talked to me, and I said, well, you know the cardinal rule. He said, Yeah. And I said, that's exactly what happens if you don't have the foundation. You can say to somebody that the mark of the beast is Sunday worship. As you begin to think about this whole situation, I think it's important for us to understand a couple of items. Because if we don't, many people will simply say, oh, you're nuts. That just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So I want us to understand today, how could we explain the issue of the mark of the beast. Because the majority of Christianity today will tell you it doesn't really matter when I go to church. And the, the thing that I want us to understand is I believe that it does make a difference as to what we do. So I'm going to, I'm going to move very quickly through this, but I'd like to take you in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel receives a vision. This comes about 13, 14 years before the overthrow of the Babylonian kingdom. And notice what it says. I'm going to start with verse 1 and I'm going to read right down through it. I want you to begin to stop and think of what he sees. Notice verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the summer of some of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great what? Sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now let me ask you a question. In prophecy, what are waters or seas? People. Very good. Very good. Where do we find that? Write, write it down. It's in, it's in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. Jump down, let's just get this out of the way right away. Jump down with me to verse 17. 
1715. Waters in prophecy represent multitudes of peoples, nations. Now here we see, jumping down to verse 17, it says, These great beasts, which are four, are four what? Kings or kingdoms which shall arise out of the earth. So when we come back to verse 3, where it says four great beasts came up from the sea to verse 1 from another, we're talking about four what? Kings or kingdoms, that's right. Now, it's important for us to understand these kingdoms come up from an area that is populated. Now, in Daniel's time, where's the area of the earth that is populated? Around the Mediterranean Sea, right? Babylonian, they're over on the east side. So you begin to look and see that here it is. God is, is showing what is going to take place. Remember, when a prophecy is repeated, it is enlarged. In other words, there's more information. We're going to see four kingdoms, but we're going to see the four kingdoms that if we were to go back to Daniel chapter 2 and see the great image, remember the head of gold, the arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Okay. Now notice in verse 4, the first was like a what? Lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given it. And behold, another beast, a second, like a what? Bear. Like a bear. And it raised itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the, between the teeth of it. And they said, Thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a what? Leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another what? Little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The what? Okay, the judgment was set, as some translations say, the court was seated. The judgment was set, and the books were open. Then I beheld, or I beheld then because of the great, the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season in time. I saw in a vi night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus came with the clouds of heaven and came to who? Ancient of Days. Who's that? That's the Father. And they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which should not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now, that's the totality of the vision. Daniel sees this. Now, when we stop and take a look at it, we see that there's a 
lion with wings, a bear raised up on one side, a leopard with four heads and four wings. Then we see this nondescript beast that Daniel couldn't even put a picture to. And then on top of this nondescript beast is what? Ten horns. Then after the ten horns, what, what is the next thing in verse 8 that we see? We see a rise of a little horn, and when the little horn comes up, what does it do? It plucks up three of the first horns. Okay, then what's the very next thing that we see? We see the judgment scene. Then what do we see? It's a very end. Well, that's part of judgment, but that's right. The books were open. Judgment takes place. But as a result of judgment, the second coming of Jesus, Jesus receives his kingdom. Amen? When does he receive it? After judgment, when he comes to get his people. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to stop and think about something for a moment. And the reason I've come to this place is because I want to, we know without a doubt that the bear represents who? The bear, rep yeah, you're right. What does the lion represent? Thank you. Uh, I thought I was fooling you and you fooled me. Uh, okay, the lion represents Babylon. And, and then you have the bear that's Media Persia. And then you have the leopard that is Greece. And then you have this nondescript beast, which is who? Rome. Listen, you can go back in your history books and see all of this. It's just boom, 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 boom. Then Rome, when it divided up, divided into what? Ten kingdoms. That's what it's talking about when the, this nondescript beast had ten horns on it. Now, sometime after that, and you've got to take the time zone, because as you look at Babylon, Babylon ruled from 605 to 538. Then you have the Medes and the Persians that rule from 538 down to 331. And then Greece takes over, and they rule from 331 down to 168 B.C. Then you have the rise of Rome. And Rome rules from 168 B.C. all the way down to 476 A.D. Now, quick checker. And that is the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, who was in government? Rome was. He was sealed with a Roman seal. He was guarded by Roman soldiers. He was crucified on a Roman cross. You know, so there's no doubt. A, a Roman governor is the one that, that, that sent him to death. And so there's no doubt you see that plays all out, all through history and through prophecy. Then you have Rome dividing off. Most scholars will say it was about the year 351 that, that Rome began to weaken. And as they began to weaken pretty soon, the tribes around, the barbaric tribes began to attack away and whittle it away. And most scholars will set a date of the, or the year 476 AD as the actual collapse of Rome. And they did that when they actually succeeded and said uh, that we're going to take and we're going to sign over the, the rights to Christian nations. Now, here it is, you began to, to look in 476, you have the collapse of Rome into ten kingdoms, and now you have those ten kingdoms in rule, as depicted here, but then it says there's going to be another what? Another little horn. And that little horn arises, and then it takes and plucks up three of the first horns, by the roots. So we want to take a look at how can we know who this little horn is. Now, we can probably say, can't we? Sure. Who is it? How do you know it's the papacy? I'm going to show you. 
I will tell you that I am going to show you right now. So let's take a look very quickly at verse 8. Hmm? Papal Rome, or the Catholic Church. Now I want you to understand something very clearly. God loves Catholics. Amen? The word Catholic simply means universal. They are one of two churches that are truly universal today, and that's the Catholic Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So it's very important to understand. God loves Catholic people. He loves Pentecostals. He loves Baptists. He... Listen, I'll tell you right now, I believe that God has more of His people outside the church than He has inside the church, but that is going to change before He comes. Amen? Hmm? What I mean is worldwide. The Catholic Church is worldwide. Almost every country you go to, you'll find a Catholic Church. Almost every country you go to in the world, you'll find a Seventh-day Adventist Church. So we're not talking about just a missionary sent somewhere. We're actually talking about established work. Okay? So I want to come back to verse 8 quickly a minute. And I want you to see some of the identifying characteristics. And I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to share with you the list that you have on your sheet. And that's why I wrote it down. Otherwise, you'd be wanting to write them all down. And, and, and for the sake of time, I wrote them for you. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. First identifying characteristic is we know that this horn, the little horn, comes up from where? From among the ten. Now, if the ten is in the European area, then that would mean also that this little horn rises from the European area, wouldn't it? Amen. Rises from among them before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So this one, on its rise to power, actually took down or uprooted three of the private or pre- previous ten kingdoms. Notice it goes on. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a what? Man. Of a man. And a mouth speaking great things. Now, here, yes. Do we know what tree yeah. tried to took out? We do. Okay. We do. And you will share that at some point after this. I will try to do that. <laughs> Thank you. I'll give it to you right now. Actually, actually I'll, I'll share it with you in a minute as I go through the identifying characteristics. Okay? Now, let's, uh, let's continue on. So we've got here it arises among them. We've got here that it uproots three horns. We've got here that it has eyes like a man. We have here that it, a mouth speaking great things. Now, jump down with me to verse 20. Verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things. What horn is it talking about? The little horn. horn. That's right. Very good. Whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld in the same horn. What horn? The little horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So there's another identifying characteristic. This horn, the little horn, makes war with the saints. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given unto the saints of the Most High. If you look at the Hebrew here, it really means in favor of the Most High. Uh, And time came that the saints possess a kingdom. Then he said thus, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be the diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it, to it down and break it in pieces. Verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings or kingdoms that shall arise, and another shall arise 
after them. So now we learn this little horn not only arises among the ten, it arises when? After the ten. Why is that important to know? History markers, that's absolutely right. If we know that Rome collapsed and divided into ten kingdoms in the year 476 A.D., we know this little horn is going to rise when? After 476 A.D., that's absolutely right. You see, it couldn't have happened in 168 B.C., could it? No, because it had to happen after the rise of the ten kingdoms. Now, notice we continue on. It says, and he shall de- be diverse from the first. What's the word diverse mean? Different. It means different. What was different? Okay, it had eyes of a man. Notice we continue. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a minute. And he subdued three kings, verse 25. And he shall speak great words. Now we learned that in verse 8, speaking great words. But what? Notice it says, he shall speak great words against who? The Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it to the end. Now, I want you to take your list, and you can check it with me. I put the verses in there. So in Daniel chapter 7, we see here that this little horn arises from among the ten. Is that so? Yes. It arises after the ten. Is that so? Yes. It speaks great words against the Most High. Is that true? It uproots three kings. It's different. Okay. What What was significant about the ten kingdoms? They were kings or kingdoms. They were simply political entities. But you see, this power... You began to look at it as speaking blasphemies or words against the Most High. So this power is not simply a political power. It is also a religious power. That's absolutely right. So it's different. It's both political and religious. Has the eyes like the eyes of God? Oh, like man. What does that mean? It means it's human. And it is casting human views and human beliefs instead of God's. Huh? That's not a king. That's right. It persecutes the saints. Verse 21. Rules for a time, time, and a half a time. How much is a time in Hebrew language or to the Jewish people? One year. How long was a calendar year? 360 days, that's right. So if we're talking time, we're talking about one year or 360 days. If we're talking times, how much are we talking? How do you know two? I mean, it's plural. (laughs) Very good, Jerry. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was put out until seven times passed him over. So if it was going to be more than two, God would have specified how many. But because it's plural, we know that it's at least two. So you've got two. So 360 and 360 is how much? 720. And then it says a half a time or a half a year. How much is half of 360? 180. So if you do the math and you've got uh, 360, 720, and 180, what does that give you? Okay, 1,260 days, but remember, in prophecy, a day is equal to a year. 
literal year. That's right. Very good. So he rules for 1260 years. And then he thinks to change times and laws. Now, it's unmistakable as you look in history. There is only one power that has risen that actually fits all of these characteristics. Now, there's many powers that have risen that fit some of them. But there's only one power, it's unmistakable as you go through history, that there's only one power that fits all nine of these identifying characteristics, and that's the Roman Catholic Church or the papacy. And once again, I want you to understand, God loves Catholic people. This is not about people, this is about a system of worship that has chosen to oppose God, to go its own direction. Just like if you, calling yourself a Christian, chooses to oppose the truth of God, you too are walking in your own path in a way against God. And so it becomes very important for us to understand that. Now I want to take you to the screen for a moment, because I thought that's going to be the easiest way to be able to to, uh, take you through some of these quotes that I'd like to share with you. You don't have to write the quotes down because we did print out them for you. So I want you to just, just hang with me, though, and, and as we go through this. So we look at the idea of the mark of the beast, and many today believe it's what? 666. I could tell you a story about a lady that, uh, or a couple that had uh, a baby, and this baby girl, they gave her a social security number, and in it was 666. They sued the Social Security Commission. <laughs> And they, of course, gave her a new card and a new number and told her we would never want to put the mark of the beast on this little girl. But, you know, that's a deception. Then you have, you know, people saying it's a barcode or it's a credit card or going to be a chip placed in your hand or in your head. Or, very popular, it's going to be the 666 stamped on your forehead. You, you know, you've talked to people that are afraid of 666. I, I was in Subway one day. And I got a, a sub, and I got some chips, and I got something to drink. And, and, and as I ordered, and the lady rang it up, and she looked at me and said, <gasps> I said, what's the matter? She couldn't even say it. She turned it around so I could see the total. It was $6.66. I smiled, and I said, so? And she said, don't you get it? 666. I said, hold it. Are you telling me my sandwich is the mark of the beast? (laughs) She thought for a minute, and then she said, well, no. I said, let me make you a suggestion. You ought to go back and read Revelation chapter 13, because the Bible says it's the number of a man, not a sandwich. (laughs) Anyways, so the whole issue is, as we go through... (laughs) As we go through Daniel chapter 7, there's no doubt, and I want to show you this on the screen because I want you to be able to see how these identifying characteristics point to this little horn being as papal Rome. Well, here's our list again. Arises from the ten, or arises from the ten, from among the ten, after the ten, is different, subdues three kingdoms, eyes like a man, speaks against God, persecutes God's people, rules for 1260 years, and thinks to change times and laws. Does that fit papal Rome? Sure. Number one, they come from Italy, which rises among the ten horns. It rises after them. Papal Rome rises to power in the year 538 A.D. And they rule for, the Bible says, 1260 years. Now, that is after 476 A.D. when Rome divided into ten kingdoms. Did you have a question? No. 
Oh, oh, there's. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. I was preaching one time, and and all of a sudden I saw this spider coming oh, no. down right at the edge of the platform, and I'm trying to preach and not pay any attention to it, but I just couldn't help it, so I finally went, bam. Yeah, anyways. So, <laughs> all right, let's let's continue on. It's different. This power, papal Rome, was not just political. And you can't say they're not political, can you? No. Oh, no, they're very political. In fact, I'll tell you what. You can know that the, the papacy has an influence in American politics. Yeah. Amen? Yes. So they're both religious and political. We see that they subdue three kings. Here you go. You. You're welcome. I got the Hurley Eye in 493, the Vandals in 534, and the Ostrogoths in 538. And so you began the rule of the 1260 years in which rule? In which year? 538. Why? Because that's when the third horn was uprooted, right? You can't start before the third horn is uprooted. Amen? Okay. Then we see it has the eyes like the eyes of a man, showing singular leadership, man's teachings and not God's. We see that it speaks blasphemy against God. Now, what is blasphemy? Well, Jesus was accused of blasphemy twice. Once because He claimed to be God. Well, was He God? Absolutely. So He wasn't speaking blasphemy, but any other power, any other person that claims to be God is speaking what? Blasphemy. Now, He was accused of blasphemy another time because He forgave sins. But if He was God, was He able to forgive sins? Yes. Absolutely. But anybody else that claims the ability to be able to forgive sins is doing what? Blasphemy. Committing blasphemy. Notice this in the Roman Catholic Ecclesiastical Dictionary. The Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were, God. And the Vicar of God. He is likewise the divine monarch and supreme emperor and what? King of Kings. I'll tell you what, my Bible says I got one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Makes me mad every time I read that. So then if it were possible that the angels heir the faith, they could be judged and excommunicated by who? By the Pope. National Catholic Council, Pope Leo XIII says, We hold upon earth the place of God Almighty. Mm. And the duties and dignities of the priest. We're the Redeemer. That, who would that be? Jesus. We're the Redeemer to descend into a church and sit in the confessional to administer the sacrament of penance and a priest to sit in a confessional. Jesus would say over the penitent, Ego ta aslavo. The priest would likewise say over each penitent, Ego ta aslavo. And the penitents of each would be equally absolved. What are they taking? The prerogative of God. That's absolutely right. Here comes another one. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even what? Divine, Divine law. What would that include? That includes the Ten Commandments. That's absolutely right. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of God or of man, but of God, and he acts as a vicegerent of God upon earth. Now, let me ask you a question. You can believe that if you want. But do you think it's reasonable that God would say to some man that you can change my law? No. The Bible tells me the law doesn't change. It tells me God doesn't change. Amen? I am the same for today, yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you. So you begin to look at it and realize, yeah, they, they take that power upon themselves. 
But I know of one high priest, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And he's not on earth, he's in heaven. And he says, if I'll come to him and confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, what about persecutes God's people? Well, go back and look at the, uh, the Huguenots and the Waldenses during the Dark Ages, the Reformation, and all of that time. You'll find that more than 50 million people died for their faith during the Dark Ages. Now, I want you to know that's the most conservative figure I found. I actually saw figures by historians up to 200 million. So I've used the conservative number, but I want you to know there's a lot of people that died for their faith. And that's why I said to you when we talked about the tribulation, if God is going to take God's people in the last day out before the tribulation, He's going to, he's going to have some explaining to do to those that died for their faith. Amen? Notice this in the Roman Catholic Western Watchmen. The church is persecuted. Only a tyro, which is one who is uninformed in church history, will deny that. From the history of the rise and influence of the spirit of rationalism in Europe, that the church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind will be questioned by who? No Protestant, no Protestant who has a complete knowledge of history. Now we come rules for 1260 years. Papal rule, Rome ruled exactly 1260 years, from the year 538 A.D. until what? 1798. That's absolutely right. What about attempts, attempts to change God's law? Did Papal Rome try to change God's law? They absolutely did. Now, what did they do? They actually took out the second commandment, and they split the tenth commandment in two, moved all of them up, so they still have ten, but what is the second commandment? Okay, idol worship. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. That's absolutely right. And of course, then they take and they, they uh, uh, separate the last one and say, Thou shalt not, not covet thy neighbor's wife. And then another one, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, basically. So, also, they attempted to change the day of worship. And I, why did I say the word attempted? Because no one can change God's law. We can accept it as a change, but the reality is God says that they're going to think to change times and laws. Yes? No, they don't even say that. They say remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Yeah. See, they, they, they take away the Sabbath and they keep, keep, take away the whole idea of why you keep the Sabbath. Remember this. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Creation. It brings us back as a memorial of creation and helps us to remember the God of creation is your God that can take and recreate you. And when Jesus says you must be born again, He's talking about a recreation of our heart and soul. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Well, they, well, yeah, all the commandments moved up. When they took the second out, they moved them all up, but then they would have had nine. So they split the tenth one in half, so they still have ten. What's that? That's, that's right. That's what I'm saying is they took the second commandment out and moved all the rest of them up, which means the fourth commandment would now be the third and, and following so on. Notice this in the, Catholic, the Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. Which is the Sabbath day? Saturday is the Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because why? The Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Can any human power do that? No. No. And when God says, Behold, I am the Lord, and I change not, 
we can know that God is good for His Word. Amen? Amen. Listen to me. If God was not good for His Word, you couldn't trust He's coming back to get you. Amen? But because He is good for His Word, when He promises to come back and get you and receive you and take you back where He is, you can take it to the bank. Amen? Amen. Praise God about that. Notice this, the Catholic Encyclopedia. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first. Now, i got to stop there for a moment. Stop and think. Was the Sabbath a Jewish thing? No. No. When was Sabbath initiated? At creation. And so here it was that you find, well, actually man was created on the sixth day. So here you, for man. That's why Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so you began to see the fact that here it is, from the beginning of time, God instituted a special divine appointment that He would spend with His people. The choice does not become whether it's right or not. The choice becomes whether or not you're going to keep it or not. Because God doesn't change. He expects His people to want to obey Him and to follow Him and meet with Him. Because listen, in our busy work, in our busy lives, you know, we're given six days to do what we need to do. But he says the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? Terry Nelson? Of the Lord thy God. Listen, that's the day. Well, we know this. We know that God established a special time for this people to be able to worship Him. And I, I want to tell you this. I believe that the ones in the unfallen worlds and around already worshiped Him like they ought to be worshipped. And, and we are told, though, that throughout eternity, we're going to fly into our city home, our mansions He's had prepared for us, and every Sabbath we're going to come in and worship Him. So praise the Lord for that. Now notice this continues on. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment. Did you catch that? Second one they took out, moved all of them up. Of the third commandment, refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Listen to the Catholic mirror. The Bible leaves no escape for the conscientious Protestant except the abandonment of Sunday worship and the return to Saturday commanded by their teacher who? The Bible. You see, it's not that they're ignorant. The one playing ignorant is us. Amen? The reason or reason and common sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these alternatives, either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday, or Catholicism and the keeping of Sunday. What's it say? Compromise, Compromise is impossible. Let me tell you. Did I write that? No, I didn't write that. Does the church have the authority to change God's law? No, no it doesn't. So what's going to be your guide? The Bible or some church manual? Now, you got to be careful with that because I don't care which church manual it is. Is the Bible going to be your sole rule of authority? See, that's where I'm at. I believe that the Bible has to establish the beliefs and doctrines of the church. Amen? Who's going to be your master, Jesus or church leaders? Oh, I tell you what, there's thousands of churches that are, are born, if I can put it that way, or raised or started as a result of people following a preacher. We better follow Jesus. Now, go, take your Bibles and go with me to Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13. And I'm not going to deal with the whole chapter because I'm going to deal with the rest of the chapter tomorrow. 
But I do want to read part of this. I'm going to start with verse 1. Revelation chapter 13 and starting with verse 1. I'm not still here a few pages. Turn. I'm going to give you time to look it up here if I can. Chapter 13, verse 1. Notice what it says. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. So this beast rises from where? A multitude of people. Where do we find that? Revelation 17, 15. Very good. You see, here's the, here's the thing. And that is, notice the beast in Daniel chapter 7 come up, and they're coming out of the sea or the populated area of the earth, which we know would be what we would call Europe, right? Now we see this beast rise up, and it takes and comes from the sea or the populated area of the earth. So it also, in the time of John, where was the populated area of the earth? Still around the European area, right? Now, notice as we continue on. I want you to catch something here. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten Crown. crowns. Did, did you notice in Daniel 7, the fourth beast had what? Ten horns. That's right. Very good. Ten horns. Notice it goes on. And ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of? Blasphemy. Well, we've already looked at that, haven't we? Notice it continues on. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and had to, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seed and his great authority. Now I want to stop there for just a moment. Stop and think. Do you have a question? Oh, you are good. That's exactly where I was going to go. See, the issue is, is, is Daniel is living in what kingdom? Babylon. Babylon. So he looks from Babylon forward, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But John is living in the time period of who? Rome. Rome. So now to catch the tie, God gives him a vision of this beast that is a, a conglomerate of a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And so now, in notice, he does it in exactly the opposite. So now John, in the time of Rome, looks back at this beast and sees that there has it, it's, it's, the, it's the leopard, and then the bear, and then the lion, right? So he really is making a connection here with what we just saw in Daniel chapter 7. Very important key. Notice, we go on. Notice the dragon gives him his power, his seat, and his great authority. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's the dragon? Where do you prove that? You don't have to go that far. Go back to Revelation chapter chapter 12 and look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called... The devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So when we're talking about the dragon giving him his power, his seat, and his great authority, there's no doubt you have two powers in this earth. One Christ, one Satan, right? They're both vying for your love and for your allegiance and your loyalty and your worship. And so here it is, you find that the dragon, he uses what? People. Amen? Amen? Just like God uses 
people, when you see the three angels' message and, and these three angels come, it's symbolic of his church giving the message. Amen? And so it is with the devil. He also uses agencies on this earth to accomplish his will. Amen? Amen. So here, notice what goes on. John is living in the time of Rome. Who then is the devil going to use to give power to this power that we see on this one head of the beast. Notice we continue on. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was what? Healed. Healed. And all the world wandered after the beast. Mm. All the world? And they what? Worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped who? The beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I want you to catch something here. The whole issue is over what? Worship. Worship. Don't miss that point. The whole theme of Revelation is worship. People say, oh, it doesn't matter when you worship or how you worship or what day you worship, what church you worship in. Listen to me. It's particular to God. It ought to be particular to you. Amen? Notice we go on. Verse 5, And it was given unto him a mouth speaking what? Great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Mm. How long is that? Do the math. There's 30 days to a month. 42 months is 1260 days or literal years. Very good. Talking about the same time period. He opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. But catch this. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now jump down with me to verse 17. We're going to get into this more tomorrow, but I want you to catch this characteristic. Verse 17, that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a Subway sandwich. It's a number of what? It's a number of a man. Please don't miss that point. It's not your 666 stamped in your forehead. It's not a computer chip. It's not a barcode. Okay, so notice we continue on. The 666 is the number of a man, for his number is 600, three score, and six. A score is 60, three score would be, or three, a score is 20, three score would be 60, so 666. Let's look at the identifying characteristics once again. Identifying this beast. Rises out of the sea. Did we see that in Daniel chapter 7? Yes. yes. Requires worship. Did we see that? Yeah. Require, or speaks blasphemy. Did we see that? Rules 42 months or 1260 years. Did we see that? Yes. Time, times, and a half a time or dividing of time. Persecutes the saints. Did we see that? Yes. yes. Number 666 is the number of a man. Where do we see that in Daniel? He had the eyes like the eyes of a man. That's right. Leads into captivity. Now, that's a new one. 
has the authority from pagan Rome. You say, wait a minute, it says a dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. But remember this. As you look at all these characteristics, who can this be? It has to be papal Rome because it fits all the same identifying characteristics. That's why I gave you this sheet. If you take and draw lines, you'll find that they pretty much all match. Now, God gave us some new ones there because He gave us a deadly wound that was healed. And he also gave us leads into captivity. But what you find is the devil used pa pagan Rome to give papal Rome the authority. So notice we continue on. And then, of course, the deadly wound that is healed. Now, the Bible reveals that the beast of Revelation 13 and the little horn of Daniel are what? Same power. John seeing it from his day. Daniel's seen it from his day, and yet they meet together and you find that the same characteristics, the same things that existed then, God foretold would exist in this beast of Revelation 13. Now, let's compare them. Both rise up out of the sea. Both are religious political powers. Both speak blasphemy. Both rule for 1,260 years. And there's your math there. 42 times 30 equals 1,260 prophetic days or literal years. Both persecute the saints. Let me come back here. Both have singular leadership teaching man's doctrines and not God's. Now, it's interesting because on the Pope's mitre, now it's not on every mitre that he has, but on some of the mitres that he has, the letters are written in the crown's mitre, Vicarious Filii Dei, which is Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. Now you notice there the quote from our Sunday visitor, April, 3, April 18, 1915. I was doing a series of meetings one time and I had a wonderful Catholic lady there and she walked out that night and she said to me, I've never seen that before. I'm going to ask the priest. And I said, please do. And I said, please tell me what they say. So she went to ask the priest. They didn't seem to know much. So she wrote our Sunday visitor. And about three weeks later, she came in and she said, I can't believe it, Pastor, Pastor, you're right. And I said, about what? <laughs> I mean, by that time, I'd, my mind was on other things. And she said, about what you said about what's on the Pope's, Pope's uh, crown. And I said, what does it say? So she actually took, she got a response from our Sunday visitor, and it said, yes, on his mitre is the words, vicarious filii dei, which stands for vicar of the Son of God. And they go on to explain the whole thing. I said, can I copy that? <laughs> and I did, and I put it in my file. So vicarious filii dei, we're talking, of course, Roman numerals. Does that work to 666? Well, yes. You come down through there, you see that vicarious equals to 112, filii equals to 53, dei equals to 501, and of course, add those together, and it is 666. I want to say one thing before you say, aha, he's missing something. Do you notice that the V is equal to 5? And I come down and the U is also equal to 5? Have you ever heard of that? How did you get the numbers in first place? Well, Roman numerals. Oh. They're Roman numerals. And they all have, they all have a uh, um, numerical, value. numerical value. Thank you. The reason that you find that is it started out with just the V. There was 24 letters in the alphabet and it was expanded into the U and the W. So in Roman numeral values, the V, the W, and the U all would have the same numerical value. Okay, so you with me? Okay, anyway, check it out. You don't have to take my word for it. 
Go look at it. And listen, I do have to say this, and that is that if this was the only thing that I had to go on, I wouldn't even preach this message. Okay? But it's simply one more. Because you could probably make your name make... Well, maybe not. But I'm just simply saying a lot of names could be made out to 666. I'm simply saying to you it's one more point, one more identifying characteristic that you have. So what about the three additional points? Well, he gets authority from the dragon, which is who? Satan. But he uses a power on earth called Rome. Notice this from the professor of history, University of Rome. To the succession of the Caesars came the successions of the what? Pontiffs in Rome. Well, what's he talking about? Okay, the leaders of the Catholic Church. That's right. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his seat to the pontiff. Here's from Stanley's history. The popes filled the place of the vacant emperors of Rome, inheriting their power, prestige, and titles from paganism. Why does he say the vacant emperors of Rome? Because you had the collapse of Rome. See, Rome had lasted the longest of any power, and so now when they collapsed and you had the division of ten, and they all wanted the same power as Rome, and so they started to intermarry, but they couldn't ever have that same power that Rome had. So now it says, the popes filled the place of the vacant emperors of Rome, inheriting their power, prestige, and titles from paganism. The papacy is but the ghost of the deceased Roman emperor sitting crowned upon its grave. The beast is not a person. It's a what? Religious political system. That's absolutely right. What about the second one? We'll go into captivity. Well, in the year 1798, and go back and do a little history. I don't have time to get into it now, but if you go back and do a little bit of history, you'll find that just before the collapse or the taking down of the papacy in 1798, you had the French Revolution. Study that out and look at, look at all that took place there. Because that's what led to General Berthier coming in in 1798 and taking the Pope and putting him in exile, and he died in exile. So the collapse of, of, of the papacy exactly 1260 years after they started. Hmm. That was the mortal wound. That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. That was the mortal room. They, they, but I want you to understand something. When they took him ca- uh, captive, that was not the stopping of the Catholic Church. That took away their political power. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't believe a church ought to be in charge of politics anyways. Right. Amen? Amen? You don't want to put me in charge of the government. i got some things I'd do. <laughs> Amen? But i can tell you, you don't want to do that. It's, it's not a good thing. But the deadly wound is then healed. So when did that take place? In the word, in the, in the year 1929, when the papacy, it says here in the San Francisco Chronicle, it's really interesting because here you have a secular newspaper that, that reports on this historic pact. Mussolini and Gaspari sign a historic Roman pact. Now notice what it says in there. February 11, 1929, the Roman question tonight was a thing of the past, and the Vatican was, with it, was at peace with Italy. And then notice the wording. In affixing the autographs to the memorable document, healing, come on, the what? The wound, extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. So once again, a secular newspaper writes and recognizes this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. They had a deadly wound, and the wound was healed. 
They did that by giving them their 100-acre parcel and proclaiming them their own independent government. All you got to do is stop and think. Back here a few years ago, when all those priests were accused of being pedophiles, how many of them did you see go to jail? None. You see, the thing was this. If that had been an Adventist preacher, they'd have been in jail. If that had been a Baptist preacher, they'd have been in jail. That had been a Pentecostal preacher, they'd have been in jail. You could, you know, you could go right down the list. But they were not put in jail because the pap- papacy came to our government and said, listen, let us deal with our own. Because every priest here is actually a diplomat. He's here and under dipl- diplomatic immunity. And so they said, let, me de- let us deal with it. And the government says, yes, we will let you do that. And so, once again, you begin to find that now that's why they're their own government. They make their own laws. And 105 countries around this world, recognized by the United Nations, has ambassadors at the Vatican, including the United States. The United States. <laughs> it's a shame. That's absolutely right. Now, so when you begin to look at it, there's no doubt the fact that that uh, this first beast of Revelation 13 is none other than Papal Rome. My question now comes to what is then the mark of the beast? Now, we're, we're dealing with symbols, right? I mean, you see a beast rec- re- represents a nation, right? You begin to go right down through and you realize that it's talking about symbolism and all the things. Doesn't it also, also make sense that there's this mark of the beast is also a symbol? Hmm. Well, let's, let's take a look and see what the Bible has to say. Because for every counterfeit, there's a what? A genuine. Now you can also turn that around. For every genuine, there's going to be a counterfeit. That's absolutely right. What is a counterfeit? Okay, it looks like it. Now, because I love you all so much, I decided to give somebody $100. You want the $100? Well, I, I, I can't change it. But let me ask you a question. Is this a real $100 bill? No. no. And if I gave this to you and you went to Walmart and said, I want to buy groceries, what would they do with you? They'd laugh. This isn't even good enough that they'd call the authorities, probably. They'd just laugh at you. Because it's not a very good counterfeit. If it was going to be a good counterfeit, what would it have to look like? exactly like the original, or it wouldn't fool anybody. Amen? Keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward here. We want to know then what is the mark of the beast. Now, I believe that Jesus has established a sign or mark of His people to identify His people. Don't you? Take your Bibles and go with me to Exodus chapter 31. Second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 31. And I want to start in verse 12. Exodus chapter 31, and I want to start in verse 12. Now notice here what it says. Exodus 31 and verse 12. The Lord spake unto Moses. Who spoke? The Lord. Can you trust what the Lord says? Amen. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, Verily my Sabbath ye shall what? Keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth what? Sanctify you. So he says the Sabbath is a 
sign. You can see, you can, you can interchange that word with mark or seal. Jesus says, I've got a special mark. I've got a special identifying point that is going to take and identify my people. And it's an identifier that they do what? Come on, what does it say? No, you're missing something. It says, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. What does it mean to be sanctified? Set apart and made holy. So here it is, only a holy God can make you holy. And he says the Sabbath is your recognition of him as your God that can make you holy. Amen? Amen? Never forget that. He says it's a recognition you have by identifying me as your God. Now, does God change? No. No, let's keep going. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of what? Rest. Holy to who? To the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall be surely put to death. Now, I've had some people say, oh, well, that's just one of those you know, feast Sabbaths. Wait a minute. What does it mean when it says six days may work be done? What does that refer you to? Okay, back to creation. It also refers you to the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. No, actually the interesting thing is that when you read the Catholic Bible out of the book of Exodus, it reads very similar. Now, remember, they have a couple different versions of the Bible. It's where you get into their helps and their catechism that they rely on that they've changed those things. So I've got, I didn't bring it with me, but I've got a Darby's, uh, no, a Douay version of the Catholic Bible. And it was amazing to me some of the things that I read out of there. In fact, one of the points it says under a footnote of Revelation 17, 8, 18. No, Revelation 13, 18. That's the one that says that the, it's the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6, 666. Under a footnote there, it says the numerical values of the letters of his name make up this number. I said, woo! I like that. But anyways, go ahead. Okay, notice we continue to read. So there's no doubt this is talking about the seventh-day Sabbath of God's moral law. Verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a what? Perpetual covenant. Now, people say, oh, that's just the Jews. See, that's perpetual covenant. But if God expected it to be forever, did God change? Now, I'll tell you what, I don't have time to go through the study on the new covenant. But what you find in the new covenant is the fact that God doesn't change the parameters of the covenant. He decides to write it upon your heart and upon your mind. Now, it's amazing to me, some people say, well, see, I don't have to worry about keeping it because it's in my heart and my mind. And I'm saying, huh? If it's in your mind, you know it's right. If it's in your heart, you'll want to do it because you love Him. Right. Amen? Amen? So, it's amazing as you begin to look at it, what we use to do away with God's law. Notice verse 17. It is a sign or a seal or a mark between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day was refreshed, and was create, was re, he rested and was refreshed. Once again, pointing you back 
to creation and to the fourth commandment. Let's look at another one. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. Just before the book of Daniel. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20. And notice with me in verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 20. And I'd like verse 11. The Bible says in verse 11, Ezekiel chapter 20, it says, I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even what? Live in them. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? Sign or a mark or a seal between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that what? Sanctify them. So has God changed his mind? No, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Very good. Jump down with me to verse 19. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign or a mark or a seal between you, me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. So once again, we begin to see God is very emphatic that the Sabbath is a special sign that He has with who? With His people. That's right. Now, listen to me. When the Jews rejected Him, and Jesus establishes the new Christian era, starts a new church, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means that though my DNA is not Jewish, that means that I can be grafted in and God takes all those people, both whether Jew or Greek and Gentile, and takes and combines them into what is now spiritual Israel. And spiritual Israel is who the new covenant is made for. But it doesn't do away with God's law. Amen? So you begin to look at it and see that the Sabbath is a very significant part of what God has in helping to identify His people. But remember, we already talked about the fact that where there's a true, there's a counterfeit. And where there's a counterfeit, there's a true. That's right. Let's look at the screen. I want you to notice this. Here's the Pope sitting on his throne. But I want you to remember back to the sanctuary for a moment. On the Ark of the Covenant, on either end, what was there? There was an angel. That's right. On either ends, the Bible describes that their wing would come across and touch each other. They would be facing towards each other and down towards the mercy seat. Representing the guardians of the throne of God. Now notice here, if you can see, here on the side of the throne, what are those? Wing cherubs or angels. Yeah, you began to look at it and see the fact that here it is, somebody sitting on the throne where only God belongs. Now, I'll tell you what, once again, it comes back to the whole idea of Him taking the place of God. We, to understand the mark of the beast, we must first understand God's seal, sign, or mark. What did we just read? What is His seal, sign, or mark? Seventh-day Sabbath. Now, let me ask you a question. Would a good counterfeit for the Sabbath, a day of the week, be 666 stamped on your forehead? No. No. Would it be a computer chip? No. Would it be a credit card? No. No. A social security number? No. No. 
See, those are all things the devil has devised to be able to draw people's attention away from the real issue. What's the real issue? Worship. It's all over worship. What does the Bible say? It says the seventh-day Sabbath is God's sign or seal. The Sabbath is God's sign of loyalty or faithfulness to the Creator. But, you know, here comes along this beast power that rises. And as this beast power rises, it decides to take its own authority because that's what God, or that's what the devil wanted. You can write this down. Go to Isaiah chapter 14 and read about verses 12 through 15 or so. And it talks about the fact that, that he's going to put his, his, his throne on the congregation of the sides of the north, and he's going to exalt himself above the stars of God, and he is going to be as God. So you begin to look at the fact he wants worship, and now you have a counterpart. You have two powers that are vying for your soul and your decision and your loyalty and your worship. What does the Roman Catholic Church claim is the sign of its authority? Well, Catholic record says this. Sunday is our mark of what? Of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I don't, I don't accept anything above the Bible. Even my own church. Amen? Amen? I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe the Bible is the love letter God has given you to help you to understand the love He has for you. Amen? But it also warns you of deception. It teaches you the truth. Notice here, faith of our fathers. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change from Sabbath to Sunday was her act, and this act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Let me ask you a question. Do they have power in religious matters? Listen, every country around this world bows a knee to papal Rome. I'll tell you what, it's, it's amazing. You begin to look at the influence that the Pope has. Notice this in the Catholic Universe Bulletin. The church changed the observance of the Sabbath to Sunday by the right of the divine infallible authority given to her by her founder, Jesus Christ. The Protestant claiming the Bible to be the only guide of faith. How many of you believe that's true? Come on. That, only half of you believe that's true? Okay. The, Bible, the Protestant claiming the Bible to be the only guide of faith has no warrant for the observing of what? Sunday. In this matter, the Seventh-day Adventist is the only consistent Protestant. Woo! I didn't write that, by the way. Okay, Catholic Extension Magazine. Regarding the change of the observance of Jewish Sabbath, once again, there we go, to the Christian Sunday, I wish to draw your attention to the facts. Number one, the Protestants who accept the Bible as the only rule of faith and religion, I don't know, but that includes me. Amen? should by all means go back to the observance of the Sabbath. The fact that they do not, but on the contrary observe Sunday, stultifies them in the eyes of every thinking man. Number two, we Catholics do not accept the Bible as the only rule of faith. Besides the Bible, we have the living church, the authority of the church as a rule of, to guide us. We accept her change of the Sabbath to Sunday. We, say, we frankly say, yes, the church made this change. 
Number three, we also say of all Protestants, the Seventh-day Adventists are the only group that reason correctly and are consistent with their teachings. It is always somewhat laughable to see the Protestant churches in pulpit and legislature demand the observance of Sunday, of which there is what? Nothing. Nothing in the Bible. Well, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Amen. So you now have the two oppositions. Two powers. Jesus Christ in calling people to accept His seal, His mark, His sign of the seventh-day Sabbath. That you recognize Him as your Creator God. Then you have the beast power coming along, which is governed by, by, by the devil. And here it is, you begin to see that they say, our mark is Sunday. We've established our own day. We've transferred the solemnity to our day. And now you do as we say and become part of us. I'll tell you what, I want to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now notice this, and this, this was a bulletin that came from uh, the St. Catherine's Church down by Detroit, Michigan, May 21, 1995. So that's fairly recent. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The Holy Day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any direction noted in scriptures. Catch that? But from the church's sense of its own power, people who think the Scriptures should be the sole authority, how do you think they finish it? Should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. Now, I didn't write that. But listen to me, listen to me. The leaders of the Catholic Church know good and well what they're doing. And there's no question in their mind about what day is Sabbath and which day is Sunday. What we need to do is we need to discover that God has a sign that He's calling His people to accept. And it's very clear. You can fight it, you can argue it, you can do whatever you want to do and He'll let you do it. But the Bible's very clear. The Sabbath is a sign of God's people. In the future, the whole issue of loyalty will center around what? Around worship. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is over worship. Now, take your Bibles... And go with me back to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. I've got to wrap this thing up. Revelation chapter 13. And notice with me in verse 6. Now let me read verse 15. Revelation 13 in verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Killed. Killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their what? Right, right hand or in their foreheads. So do you think that, you know, once again, the devil has people thinking that God's going to go through or the devil's going to go through and he's going to write 666 on your forehead and you're going to be forever marked. But we've been talking about symbolism through this, right? Mm -hmm. And so God has already stated that the true issue is over worship. That His true sign is the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. The devil comes along and through papal Rome now has people believing that it is the first day of the week or that it doesn't matter what day you keep. But here the Bible says you can receive the mark of the beast in your right hand or in your forehead. Jesus says in Revelation 7, write it down, you can look it up, 
Revelation 7, it says the people of God are given the seal of God in their foreheads only. So what does it mean when he's talking about the, 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 the forehead or the right hand? Okay, you can choose to believe what they say and make an intelligent decision that says, no, I'm going to believe what they say, and that's right, and that's final. I've had people to say to this have said to me, listen, I was born Catholic, I was raised Catholic, I'm going to die Catholic. Okay, it's your choice. But that doesn't make it right. Amen? That doesn't make it right. The other one, the hand. Did you notice it says that you can't buy or sell? You see, because of coercion, because of convenience, because we don't want to go through persecution, we may not agree with it, we may know that it's wrong, but because we want to feed our families, because we want to not have trials and tribulations, we go along with it. That's shown by the action of the hand. Okay, So you can either believe it or not believe it, but by following it, you are choosing to receive the mark of the beast. It's in the forehand that convinced to be right or coerced along with it. Now, I want you to understand Revelation chapter 14 is all about worship. Go back and read Revelation 14, three angels' message, verses 6 through 12. In verse 7, it says, And worship him that made heaven and earth and seas, in the fountains of water. Let me ask you a question. How do you worship God as a creator? Seventh-day Sabbath. But then in verse 9, it says, don't worship the beast or his image. So here it is, the whole theme of the three angels' message, the last day message to go around this globe, is a theme of don't worship the beast, worship God in the true Sabbath. It's all over worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. So who's going to be your guide? Yeah, the Bible's going to be my guide. Who's going to be your master? Jesus. Jesus is going to be my master. And what is the foundation of your faith? The Bible or what man says? The Bible, the Bible is. What is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? The church or God's will? God's will. God's will. Absolutely right. God never uses force. And just as it was in the days of Noah, God invites His people to take a stand. As it was in the days of Daniel, God invited His people to take a stand. As it was in the days of Jesus, God invited His people to take a stand. In the days of the early Christians, God invited His people to take a stand. And in the dark ages, God invited His people to take a stand. In the last days, God invites His people to do what? Take a stand. Take a stand. The question you have to answer, and you can only answer it for yourself, and that is, are you willing to accept His sign? Of Creator. And that's by keeping the seventh day Sabbath. I want to invite you, if you want to make or renew that decision today, to keep His Sabbath, to follow Jesus, that He be Lord of your life, I want to invite you to raise your hand right now. Our dear kind Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you so much for each one that is here. And Lord, as we're here, we're asking for you to renew our mind. Help us, Lord, to be new creations in you. The Lord will keep your Sabbath. And that, Lord, will honor it not because of us and not out of duty, but because we've fallen in love with You and You're the Creator of the Sabbath and, and You've asked us to because You want to take time every week to spend with us. So, Lord, bless us now. I pray You'll take us back and help us to enjoy the rest of the day. And then, Lord, bring us back out tomorrow. In Jesus' precious name, 
Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.